How we doing? All right. It's Easter Sunday. Glad you're here. My name is Chris. I'm uh, one of the pastors here at Redeemer. Uh, if you're a visitor today, you're visiting with us, we are so glad you're here. I want to extend a, a special welcome to you. Thank you for coming uh, today to worship with us and celebrate our, our Lord's resurrection. Uh, we pray that while you're here that you would uh, feel welcome, that you would, uh, I hope that it, it, you take advantage of the opportunity to stop by the connection table just around the corner here to the left uh, to find out opportunities, ways to get more connected with the church, uh, especially a community group. Um, it is a great way to be connected, to have brothers and sisters and, and friends and family uh, to journey with in, in your life here uh, as you follow the Lord. So uh, thank you for coming, and we'd love for Redeemer to be a place that you call home. I don't know about you, but I'm a, a big fan of the show The Walking Dead. Anybody with me? Yeah, there's a few, all right. Some of you don't want to admit it, that's fine. Um, right, I, I love Rick and Daryl and Coral, right, uh, if you watch the show, Coral. Uh, I love the gang, right? If you're, not, if you're not familiar with the show, it takes place in the world post-zombie apocalypse, okay? So uh, the zombies have, have just pretty much taken over the world, and there's follows this one group of people in particular that kind of find each other, they kind of become a, a family together, and so they're, they're fighting to survive in this, this world filled with zombies. And if you've been like living in a cave, and you're not uh, familiar with what zombies are, let me kind of explain to you zombie lore here a little bit. Um, so a zombie is, is like a, a corpse, right? Uh, a dead person who's living, well, not living, but moving, active, right? And so they're, they're walking about, they're, they're not resurrected, they're, they're not like a resuscitated body, it, it's literally the walking dead, right? The dead walking around, feeding off of living flesh. So um, that's, I won't necessarily tell you you should watch the show, it's a little violent, um, and by a little I mean a lot. Um, literally the walking dead, and to be bitten by a zombie means that you become a zombie. And so the zombies just roam the earth, spreading death all over the earth. And so the, the show, The Walking Dead, uh, that's what they're up against, right? Fighting to survive in a world kind of filled with zombies. And I don't want to give away too much in case you watch it. But as you, uh, as you get more into the show, you realize that the, the people, the living people, who've actually survived through some of this, actually become much more dangerous and much more horrifying than the zombies themselves, which kind of begs the question, who really is the walking dead? Right? And there's an increasing obsession with zombies in our culture. There have been lots of films. Anybody see Pride and Prejudice and Zombies? Uh, yeah, that's my favorite version. Um, but anyway, uh, you know, so a lot, of, a lot of obsession with, with zombies in our culture, and I think something runs deeper with, with that obsession than simply enjoying TV shows and, and movies. The truth is that the zombies are not the only walking dead creatures in our world. As you read the scriptures, read the Bible, we realize that what, what God has to say is that, that spiritual death is the born reality for every single human being on the planet. We are, we're born dead in our sins. Right? We, we're the walking dead. We're the walking dead, and we can really work really hard to take care of ourselves physically. We can work out. We can try to eat right and, and try to help ourselves avoid death, but the reality, the spiritual condition, the truth is for every single human being on the planet, apart from Jesus Christ, you are dead, right? You're dead in your sins. The truth is we are spiritual zombies, 
Apostle Paul says this in Ephesians 2.1. He says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. In other words, you didn't make just a little mistake, right? We didn't make just little mistakes. We weren't like in trouble. We weren't like even facing death. No, what he says is, you were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sins. That's the reality. That's your spiritual reality apart from Jesus. We are all the walking dead in need of rescue, and there's nothing we can do to rescue ourselves. But here's the good news. Here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus Christ has died. He's lived the life you never could. He's died the death that you deserve for your sins, and he has risen from the grave. He has defeated death. And he alone, through faith in him, by the power of his life, death, and resurrection, Jesus rescues you out of death and makes you alive in him, beginning this process of a total transformation within you. It changes everything in your life. And that's what we see in our text today, uh, Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. I invite you to turn there in those uh, black ESV Bibles there on your row. It's on page 942. Um, Also, if you don't have a copy of the Bible, you'd like a Bible today, we do have some paperback copies out here on the connection table. We'd love for you just to take one of those as a gift and and have a copy of God's Word for yourself. But let's stand together. Let's hear from God's Word. Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Uh, Father, we thank you for uh, this this glorious morning to celebrate uh, your plan of rescue. Your plan to rescue us out of death, to make us alive through your Son who lived and died and rose. Lord Jesus, we are so thankful that you are not still in a tomb somewhere, but that you are risen and alive and that we have a sure hope that we will be resurrected with you when you return. And that even right now, we have an opportunity to walk in newness of life, united with you. Holy Spirit, would you invade our hearts today? Would you awaken us to faith if we don't know you? Would you remind us of the truth about who we are in you if we do? And may you help all of us live more in light of what you've accomplished for us, Lord Jesus. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may have a seat.
We've been journeying through the book of Romans here since uh, January, and so let me just sum up for you Romans chapters 1 through 5. It's basically summed up like this, right? All of us fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us, every human being on the planet is lost in sin apart from Jesus and in desperate need of rescue, and there's nothing that you can do to, to rescue yourself. Like, no amount of good works, no amount of, like, I do more nice things than bad things, no amount of, like, I'm going to clean up my act, none of that can save you, right? You can't do enough good to make yourself right with God. There is no hope of saving yourself. You're dead in your sins. That's what Paul says. You're dead in your sins. And guess what? Dead people don't make themselves alive again. They just don't do that. And so you need a rescue. You need a rescue. And God, in the person and work of Jesus Christ, has done everything that you need for that rescue. He's done all the work that is required. He has provided the righteousness that you need to stand before a holy God, accepted and welcomed into his family. He has done all of the work, and he offers it freely to receive by faith, right? By faith. The good news of the gospel is that Jesus lived the sinless life you never could. He died the death you deserve. He's risen from the grave. He has victory over Satan's sin and death. And it's freely available to you if you just receive it. If you just receive it. And that message, by the way, is totally unique among every other religion, every other philosophy, every other worldview on this planet. Christianity is not just another religion. I don't want you to buy into that lie. Right? Every other religion, every other philosophy essentially tells you something like this. You need to live this way, right? You need to obey this code, and then you will be accepted. Then you will be approved of. Then you will be okay with the deity or the people or whatever it is that you're pursuing. But Christianity is, is, is absolutely different, absolutely unique. Christianity tells you you've already been accepted at great cost to God's own son, and now, therefore, that will change everything in your life. It will, it will bring about a total transformation. It will begin a total transformation within your life. It changes everything. He has accepted you, and therefore, you will be different. Right? Nothing's required of you but to receive it. Do you hear that? It's not like go get busy, do a lot of work, but, but receive the gift Embrace it. Embrace Christ. Now, this message of the gospel, with its emphasis on the, the freeness of grace and the, the, the complete inability of any of us to save ourselves, it brings up an immediate question, and that's what Paul brings up in our text today in, in verse 1, right? Essentially, the question is this, right? If salvation is all God's doing, and, and no amount of good works in our life is required to receive it, then what, should we even be good at all? Like, what's the point? right? Should, should we just go on sinning? Like, if, if salvation's all God's doing and it doesn't depend on how I live or what I do, then can I just live however I want? Right? So that's the question. That's, that's the question he asks in verse 1. He says it this way, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Right? If grace increases, that's what he says at the end of chapter 5, if grace increases where sin increases, well, shouldn't we just sin more that we would have more grace? And the rest of this passage in chapter 6 is, is really Paul's answer to this question. And it, it's not like a really a, a, a sideways kind of 
going off in left field for a minute tangent. Uh, but really, it's an important question that Paul needs to address because the question reveals a serious misunderstanding. Right? It re- reveals that you really don't understand the gospel. That's why Paul gives this very short and simple answer to begin his answer in verse 2. And he just says, by no means, right? By no means. This is ridiculous, right? If you're even asking that question, it means that you don't understand the message of the gospel. You don't understand what the gospel actually says. You don't understand the message of salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. See, the gospel proclaims that the salvation is all God's doing, but it also makes clear that to encounter Jesus, to, to be transformed by Jesus, to receive his grace, to trust him, to turn from your sin and cling to him, brings about a, a transformation, and it begins a, a process of completely transforming your life to look more and more like Jesus. Immediately, it changes your standing with God. It changes who you are by definition. It gives you a a new identity. And the theological term that that Romans really focuses on through the whole first five chapters, really the major theme of Romans, is justification. That's the word for that. that. That through the finished work of Christ, you have a right standing freely given to you through faith in Him. And you have a different, a different identity now. You're, you're saved. You're the righteousness of God. You're an adopted son or daughter of God. You're completely new in Him. And yet it also begins this process that doesn't, it's not finished at that moment. It's actually a beginning at the moment of conversion. This process of becoming more and more like Christ. That it's going to bring about a total transformation in your life throughout the course of your life until the day you meet Jesus face to face in the new heaven and the new earth. And that process is called sanctification. And so it brings about a, a total transformation in you. And Paul begins expounding on this, his answer by saying that you, you can't live however you want, right? Just continuing to indulge in sin because when you put your faith in Jesus, you died to sin. You died to sin. Look again at verses 1 and 2. He says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? How can we who died to sin continue to live in sin? What does Paul mean that, that we died to sin? What does that, what does that mean? And he's going to unpack this throughout the rest of, of the passage. But, but here's the basic idea. Here's the basic idea that he's saying. The moment that you put your faith in Christ, the moment that you become a Christian, you are no longer under the rule of sin. You are no longer under the tyranny and the oppression of sin. You've been set free from sin. You've been set free. It no longer longer has rule over your life. You look back at at Romans chapter 5, 21, just a, a couple verses right ahead of this. Uh, Paul says, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign. So in other words, he's not saying that sin has no power anymore. It still has power. It still has power. It's, it's not that we will never sin again. I and mean, if we're, those of us who've been journeying with Christ for more than about, oh, 60 seconds, we know that that's true, right? We know that we will still sin. We still wrestle with sin. We will absolutely continue to struggle with it. But sin no longer rules and reigns in the life of a Christian. In the heart of a Christian. Romans 1 makes it clear. Outside of knowing Christ, you're given over to your sinful desires. It's the only thing you know, right? And you're not even able to realize that it's sin in your life. And even if you could realize that, that this is sin, that this is wrong, that I, I shouldn't be doing this, you're unable in your own strength 
to resist it. You're unable to turn from it by yourself. We were completely under the control of sin and our sinful desires apart from Jesus. But now, right? But now, Paul says, in Christ, when we meet Jesus in faith, sin can no longer dominate and rule over you. In Christ, you now have the ability to resist sin. You now have the ability to say no to sin. To push back against it, to repent, to say no. Colossians 3.13 says it like this. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We've been transferred. We are no longer under the rule of sin and death. We are now under the rule and reign of grace, the rule and reign of Christ. He is our king. We are slaves to him. We're not slaves to sin any longer. We're free Free people who can resist and run away from sin and temptation. Think of it like this. This is kind of how it plays out in our life. Imagine like an evil kind of military force that, that overtakes and occupies a nation, right? And so they're, they're ruling and reigning over that nation. They're in full control of that nation. But then a, a good liberating force comes in and, and thwarts them, right? It overthrows them, topples their oppression, sets the people free, hands the government, the nation back over to the people, to the, the rightful rule of that nation. But yet, some of that evil military force survives and, and flees out into the wilderness and the woods, right? And they kind of exist as this guerrilla force, this guerrilla army, and then they can cause, they can still cause some, some problems, right? They can still cause chaos. They can still cause all kinds of harm to, to some of the people, to parts of the nation, but, but never again will they be able to fully rule and reign over that nation. Right? That's kind of like what it is with sin. Sin still has power in the life of a Christian this side of heaven, right? We still wrestle with it. It can still cause problems. It can still flare up, and we still give in to it. But it doesn't rule us. It is unable to completely rule and reign over us now that we are in Christ. We've been set free. You have died to to sin, which means that it can be dead to you. And Paul continues to explain here how you died to sin. How you died to sin. Verses 3 and 4. He says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. And so Paul brings up baptism. Right? He brings up baptism, and, he, and he, he's painting a picture of the symbolism of baptism by immersion. Baptism by immersion. And I want you to be careful about what Paul is and what he's not saying in these verses. Paul is not talking about baptism as the act that saves you. If you read the entirety of the scripture, that, that holds true, right? Baptism it does not save you. Jesus saves you, right? It's not the act of baptism that brings about your salvation. It's Jesus who brings about your salvation. It's faith in him alone that saves But baptism, right, baptism is this beautiful symbol of what happens inwardly in your heart, right? It's an outward expression of what happens inwardly in the heart of the believer, that you are united with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. 
It, it outwardly expresses and displays what takes part in, in the heart of, of a believer. But you have to understand for Paul, the idea of a Christian who's not baptized made no sense. Okay? It made no sense. You read through the scriptures, particularly you read through the book of Acts, you will see this, this, the four things essentially that happen almost immediately upon conversion in every single Christian that, that we read about their kind of conversion account in the New Testament. Four things. One and two happen simultaneously, repentance and faith. Repentance and faith. When you hear the gospel, the Lord renews your heart, opens your heart to embrace the gospel. You respond immediately with repentance and faith. Repentance is a word that literally means to make a 180. Like I'm heading in this direction in my sin and I turn away from my sin and I turn toward Christ, right? Repentance and faith. I trust in Christ. I believe Christ when he tells me that he's made a way of salvation apart from my own works. He's made a way of salvation, that he's done it all. I believe him. I trust him. I cling to him with all that I am. I repent and I express faith, the trust in Jesus Christ. That's one and two. Those happen simultaneously at the moment of conversion. And as you read through the New Testament, you'll see number three happens almost immediately right after that all the time. For example, you can read Acts chapter 8 and read the account of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. Almost immediately after every occurrence of conversion, repentance, and faith, they're baptized. They're baptized. And so for Paul, this idea of a Christian who's not been baptized is just completely foreign to him. And so that's why he says what he says here in Romans 6, 3, and 4. You were baptized, right? You're a Christian. You were baptized into Christ. Like, it's a given to him. It's a given that you would have been baptized into Christ. That, that it would be a dis- public display, a public identification with Christ in his death and resurrection. Now, the act itself, there's nothing, we got some baptisms today, you're going to get to see this played out here in just a few moments, but there's nothing magical about that water, right? If we showed you where it came from, you'd be like, I don't know if I want to get in it. Um, <laughs> just kidding, for those of you who are getting in it, that's a joke, um, right? It's nothing magical about it, trust me. There's nothing magical about the act of baptism. It just represents what, what happens in your heart. It's an outward display, an outward action, an acting of, of being united with Christ, being buried with Christ in his death, united with him in his death and in his burial, and raised up out of the water to walk in newness of life. The act doesn't do that for you. It symbolizes it. Right? But Paul is saying, hey, you're a Christian. This is what you've done. This is what you've done. And so he's speaking that way. Just so you know, to give you the fourth thing, since I told you there are four, I just gave you three. Um, the fourth thing that you see happen almost immediately following conversion, repentance, faith, baptism, and then incorporation into the church universal and its local expression. Right? The New Testament knows nothing about a Christian who's not connected to a local body of believers. But that's another sermon for another day. All right? Um, So, here we are, verses 3 and 4. Paul's emphasis here, I want you to see, really in these verses, isn't even on baptism. His emphasis is on Jesus Christ. His life, his death, and his resurrection. That's the focus. Jesus lived the only sinless life, the perfect life. And Jesus died. He went to the cross. He willingly laid his life down. He he didn't go there kicking and screaming. He didn't go there wishing something different would happen, right? He went there willingly. 
At any moment, he could have put an end to the whole thing. He's God in the flesh. But yet he went there willingly out of love for you and took your sins upon himself and died for your sins. And then to just make sure that he was dead, like he wasn't swooning, he didn't take a cat nap on the cross, right? A Roman soldier took a spear up through Jesus' side, puncturing his heart, causing blood and water to flow from his side. He died. And then he was wrapped in burial cloth that if by a miracle he had survived, would have suffocated him and killed him. And wrapped in the burial cloth, his dead body was laid in a tomb, sealed with a stone that had a, a guard detail assigned to, to watch over and protect it. Yet, on that first Easter Sunday morning, the stone is rolled away and Jesus walks out of his tomb alive. He's risen. He's risen. He is alive, resurrected by the glory of the Father. And this is Paul's emphasis here. Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, he was raised. He was raised. And through faith in Jesus, you have been united with Jesus. His death has become your death. His life has become your life. His death to sin becomes your death to sin. And his resurrection becomes your newness of life in him. And it becomes the sure promise That when he returns, you and I likewise will be resurrected like he was in the new heaven, in the new earth. When the resurrection, just so you know, it wasn't an ending, it's a beginning. It's the beginning of God restoring everything. And so when we meet him, when he returns again, he will renew and restore and resurrect everything. Everything. Us included. Verse 5. Verse 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. This is how you've died to sin. This is how you died to sin. If you don't yet know Christ, this is how you could die to sin. This is how you can die to sin through faith in Jesus. By turning from your sin and trusting him, his death becomes your death. And his death was accepted, was it not? I mean, his resurrection declares that God approves of his sacrifice, that he accepts it as payment in full for sin. His death becomes your death to sin. Verses 6 and 7. He says, We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. In the last half of Romans chapter 5, Paul makes it clear that you are either in Adam or you are in Christ, right? Either Adam is your representative and you are under the rule and reign of sin and death that came through Adam, that is who you are, or you are in Christ and he is your representative and you are under the rule and reign of grace and mercy and forgiveness and life. You're either in Adam, and everything that is true of Adam is true of you, or you are in Christ, and everything that is true of Jesus is now true of you. And here Paul expands on that truth, saying that our old self, our old self in Adam, who we were in Adam before Christ, has been crucified, right? Has has been crucified with Jesus Christ. 
2 Corinthians 5.21 says it like this, For our sake he made him, he made Jesus, God made Jesus to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Beyond the physical torment of the cross, like that's not the main point of the cross. Yes, it was a brutal, brutal death, but it's the cosmic suffering that's truly beyond comprehension. Lots of people were crucified, but only one man has absorbed the full cup of God's wrath, his righteous judgment for our sin, and and taken it all. Jesus suffered as our sin on the cross. He didn't just suffer as a man through an unjust death. He suffered as your sin. He became your sin, was regarded as your sin, and took the full cup of God's wrath in your place. And he, in exchange, offers you his perfect righteousness, his life, his record, his approval and acceptance before God. He offers that freely to you. He absorbs the full penalty for sin, defeating it once and for all. Jesus' death really was our death. He died for our sins as our sins, setting us free from sin. And that changes everything. That changes everything. Your old self has died. You have been made new, Christian. You're not the same person, right? You've been made new. You're a completely new creation in Christ. And so it doesn't make sense for us to continue walking in sin. Right? I mean, when a non-Christian sins, they're doing what they should do. Like, we should not be surprised. Why shouldn't they sin? They don't know Jesus. they're, They're dead in their sins. It's all that we know apart from Christ. It makes sense, right? Zombies be zombies. That's that's how I must say it. Manny be Manny, zombies be zombies. Um, Zombies be zombies. But when you're united with Christ, your old self dies with Christ, and you're made alive in Jesus Christ. You're no longer dead, you're alive in him. And so, does it make any sense for us to go along walking around pretending like we're still the walking dead? Still living as if we're zombies when we're alive now in him. It makes no sense. Why would you sin? That's not who you are. Therefore, if we sin, or should I say, when we sin, let's be honest, Because we all sin. None of us will make it through today, probably, uh, without a sin in our life, right? We've sinned already. Um, When we sin, it's because we don't realize who we are. Christian, when you sin, it's because you don't remember. You've forgotten who you are. You've forgotten who you are now because of Christ. You've forgotten what he's done and who he's made you to be. You have died with Christ, and so, so now you are to go on living, living, united with Christ. Look at verses 8 through 11. We're close here. We'll wrap it up soon, I promise. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. If you've died with Christ, it also means you've been raised with Christ. You've been raised with him. And how can we be certain? How can we be certain? Well, here's how. 
because Jesus conquered the grave, because the tomb is empty. Jesus died, but death could not hold him. It had no dominion over him. The tomb is empty. Right, we can go somewhere in the world today, right? We, if we want to tour long enough and we want to work at this long enough, and we can dig up Muhammad. We can dig up Buddha. But we can excavate the entire planet to the end of days, and we will never find the remains of Jesus. Because the tomb is empty. He's alive. He walked out of the grave. And the evidence is astounding. Right? You have Peter who's ashamed to tell a little girl that he was one of Christ's disciples when he's arrested and going through the sham trial. Afraid to admit to like a little preteen girl that yes, I'm one of his disciples. But then a few chapters later, a few days, months later, you have Peter preaching, hey, you can kill me, but I'm not gonna stop preaching that Christ is Lord, that he is risen, that he saves Completely revolutionary in his life. All the disciples, they all fled, but yet almost all of them are martyred, going to their death, proclaiming, he is alive. 1 Corinthians 15, you realize that Jesus appears to all these witnesses. He appears to the women right after his his resurrection. He appears to the disciples. He appears to over 500 at one time. Like it, It wasn't just like he showed up one time to just a couple people and said, hey, can you keep the secret that I'm risen? And just tell everybody, right? This was not Joseph Smith with the little like things, okay? This is completely different. Lots of witnesses saw him alive after he was dead. Evidence is astounding. He's risen and he will never die again. He wasn't resuscitated, right? He wasn't brought back to life only to die again. It was a resurrection, a glorification. And here's Paul's point. You have been united with Christ through faith in him. Everything that's true of him is now true of you. So you can be sure that you too will be raised with Christ when he returns. And you will live with him in eternal glory forever. And even right now, before that moment happens, you can walk in newness of life. No longer under the reign of sin, but under the reign of grace, under the reign of Christ. The reality is that through faith in Christ, because of his finished work, you have been transformed. Your old self was crucified. You've been made alive in Jesus. You've been made new. You have a new identity. You're set free from sin. You're counted righteous. You're called the righteousness of God. That's how God sees you. He looks at you, and through faith in Jesus, he, he sees you as clean as Jesus. That's your identity, Christian, as clean as Jesus through faith in him. You're adopted into his family. He doesn't just accept you and forgive you, but he welcomes you into his family. You're adopted in as God's sons, God's daughters, his beloved children. That's who you are now in Christ. And this is how you are to live. You are to consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. You're to remember who you are now because of what Jesus has done. And so you're free to say no to sin. You're free to resist. You're free to repent. You're free to walk in newness of life. A process of transformation has begun in you. You're not the same anymore. So stop pretending like you are. Right? Stop pretending to be the walking dead. 
when you are alive in Christ. You're no longer slaves to sins. You're sons and daughters of the King. Sons and daughters of the King. Listen, Romans 8 you'll read, the same Spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives in you. The same Spirit that rose Him from the grave is alive within you, working, renewing, transforming you from the inside out. Would you remember that? Would you tap into that? Listen, if you don't know Jesus today, I I pray that the Holy Spirit would, would awaken you, would convict you, would make it a reality to you, the, the reality of your sin, the reality of your spiritual condition apart from Christ, that he would display to you that you are dead in your sins, but that he also display to you that there is life, there is grace, there is forgiveness at the cross of Christ, at the empty tomb. Through faith in Jesus, you can be made new. Through faith in Jesus, you can be forgiven. You can be fully redeemed in him. You'll begin a process of heading in that direction. You'll be counted righteous. You'll be made part of his family. I pray if you don't know Jesus today, that he would awaken your heart to the the truth of the gospel, the good news, that he lived, he died, and he rose again. He's paid the debt in full for you. All you need to do is receive it. All you need to do is turn. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ and cling to him. And everything that is true of him will become true of you. If you're already a believer and you've forgotten who you are in Christ, you've been walking in sin, you've been walking as a dead person when you're alive, I pray that you would look at the cross, that you would look at the empty tomb, and you would remember who you actually are, the righteousness of God, set free from sin, beloved son, beloved daughter of the king, and that you would live in light of that. May we continue to remind one another who we are in Jesus, and may we continue day by day to grow, living more and more in light of who we truly are in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time to gather and celebrate your plan of rescue. Your plan to to deal with our sin. Father, we thank you that you love us and you have shown us such grace. That you have sent your son to pay it all. To do all the work that is required. To live the life we never could a perfect, sinless life in our place, to die the death that we deserve for our sins on the cross for our place, and to rise victorious from the grave, displaying the full acceptance of his sacrifice, displaying his victory over Satan, sin, and death. And then you make this all available to us. You make the righteousness that we need, the right standing that we need before you, available freely to us through faith in Jesus. I pray that you would move hearts to cling to you today. Holy Spirit, would you awaken people to faith in this room, in this moment? Would you renew? Would you restore? Would you begin redeeming? For those of us who are Christians, I I pray, Lord, that you would help us to remember 
We are so prone to gospel amnesia, to forget who you are and what you've done and who you've made us to be. May we look at the cross and the tomb, the empty tomb today, and remember and be transformed and be renewed and walk in light of the gospel, to live under the reign of grace, free in you as your beloved children. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.